You're listening to Mr. Suave at MrSuave.com. The only way you can really tell that you've won a debate about pop music is if you somehow managed to make the other guy cry. It's a mod, mod world. Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! Mr. Swab's Mod Mod World at MrSwab.com.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event! Let's get ready to rumble! Y'all ready for this? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the epicenter of the true pop music world at MrSwab.com. Live from the bar at Suave Manor, tonight you are witnessing the most anticipated match in the history of modcasts. Perfect pop song battle royale. A contest in the sweet sonic science. The main musical modcast matchup. Are you ready, pop music fans? Are you ready for the biggest head-to-head face-off in modcasting history? Let's get ready to rumble! In the blue corner, we have the challenger, wearing a tight t-shirt, bearing a witty quip with red wine splotches, with a record that is warped, scratched, and skips. She can make a cosmetolden cocktail, able to knock out lightweights in a single gulp. She can take a nothing day and suddenly make it all seem worthwhile. The number one contender for pop music poobah. All hail, Mary, Queen of Cosmos! And across the ring, drinking in the red corner, is a man who needs a lengthy introduction. The undisputed producer of the most modcasts. Weighing in on many things he is clueless about, but likes to think he knows a perfect pop song when he hears it. Wearing a too tight, swanky 60 suit and a ridiculously skinny tie. It's the web's original modcaster with a record of 391 knockout shows and two draws due to extreme intoxication. He is the maestro mix master of the martini. The reigning grand poobah of picking perfect power pop. It's Mr. Bang, pow. It's a knockout in the first round. <laughs> I haven't even had a chance. I just iron mic'd you. Uh, you you are cruel. Yes. To be I kind. That's right. That's right. Uh, welcome to Mr. Suave's Mod Mod World. 
This is modcast number 392, if we're keeping track, and I think I'm probably the only one doing that. Um, and it's the perfect pop song. Right. All the perfect pop songs up well, to the limit. Well, half of them. Half of them are perfect mm-hmm. pop songs. Mm-hmm. The other half you picked. We've been fighting about this for four weeks now? At least. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So please, please talk. Please explain. So we decided we were going to do a show about the perfect pop song, and I didn't realize that I needed to define what a pop song was. I received the email. I emailed you back promptly to say we need to come up with a shared definition and then five minutes later i got so excited that i just came fake up with news you never said that i did really yeah oh. i did it i thought everybody knew what a pop song was well i a perfect yeah pop song. yeah it narrows it down a bit okay i only had one ground rule i think in my original um, dossier that i sent you um, no Beatles songs because that's unfair. They, they, you know, master crafted perfect pop songs. Right. I, I I can remember I sent one song to you and and said, but they sound like the Beatles, and you made some snarky comment like, <laughs> uh, I don't remember. Lots of things sound like the Beatles. That's basically the what dogs barking Beatles songs sound like the Beatles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The Ruddles sounded like the Beatles so much so that I didn't pick any Ruddles songs, even though some of those are pretty much damn perfect pop songs, because they copied the Beatles, exactly. Okay, so can we talk about definitions? Yes. All right. Give me a definition. All right, here's mine. Uh-oh. Um, I know, I, I wrote got, it down. She's got notes. It's formulaic. It follows a very specific pattern. Yep. Um, so it's either verse, chorus, verse, chorus, A, B, A, B. There's a bridge, and then you come to some climactic resolution. Or, and this was interesting, I hope you post this link. Well, you're going to now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, you don't know that. (laughs) You sent me homework last night, um, and it talked about Prince and how often Prince will use the same melodic formula for the verse and the chorus, he will just change the treatment of it. And right. then I, I, I ran that song through my head and now I can't think of what that song was because I have other songs in my head. But that is fascinating, that trick. I mean, I never, I never caught it. Yeah. And apparently it's a trick being used by um, pop writers today. What's his name? The guy I'd never heard of until a few months ago or, yeah, probably a couple months ago, Max Martin. And apparently he has, uh, he's third only to Lennon and McCartney for number one pop songs on the biggest charts around the world. And he's been writing all of the biggest pop songs basically since the mid-90s for everybody from Backstreet Boys to Taylor Swift to anything in between. If there's been a number one song, it's a good guess that he was probably behind it and he is uh he's swedish yes yes and he's I, swedish I, again a, a a pattern i noticed in the articles that you sent me is there is some nordic dominance in the latter like i would say what late 80s 90s aughts um composition so you're saying the fault lies at the feet of the north uh, sure the swedes it's all their fault they ruined music um, yes, or you look elsewhere for pop music, which is what I did. You did look elsewhere. Uh-huh. 
under the covers, <laughs> under the couch, in the corner, mostly in the rubbish bin. All right, so <laughs> that's not a knockout. It's just me moving forward. No, no, no. I, I already p- played the most, uh, I think, the greatest uh, pop song that there is, and it probably surprises people. It's Nick Lowe, Cruel to be Kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually wrote it when he was with... Brinsley Schwartz, which was a pub rock band in the mid-70s, named after guitarist Brinsley Schwartz. Um, and they wrote a number of really great songs, Cruel to be Kind. Well, it wasn't released until Nick Lowe did it later, uh, 1979. But they also wrote um, What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding, which oh. went on to be a big hit, of course, for Elvis Costello. And then Nick Lowe went on to be in Rockpile with Dave Edmonds and write Teacher Teacher, <laughs> which is actually a, something I stumbled across on YouTube, which I have been listening to for years. And here I hear Teacher Teacher, and I think, oh, that can go on a list of nearly perfect pop songs. And it was on my short list, but it didn't make it for this show. Okay, so I want to go back to, did I hear you correctly, Nick Lowe wrote songs with a punk a pub rock oh, band, a pub. which is okay, kind okay. of to say a power pop band of the mid '70s in Britain. All right, well that's different from punk because yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't really punk. Oh, because that's uh, another aspect uh, of, or, or, or another layer of my definition is there's a, a sweetness, an innocence, a brightness to a perfect pop song. And I believe, I, the, the, yes, Cruel to be Kind, absolutely. There is that kind of sweetness, brightness in terms of the melody. Yes, and it fits what my definition is, which is three chords, three minutes, three verses, a chorus. That pretty much sums it up. Earwormy. Earwormy? Yeah, yes, that they're it's all earwormy. They have great hooks, they have mm-hmm. melodies that you can't get out of your head, and they have easy to remember lyrics that people like to hum along and sing along with. Right, right. So we agree. We agree on the definition. We agree on that. The problem is none of your songs do that. Oh. Oh. Snap. Um, so shall we listen to one of my songs? Yeah, if we have to. Or maybe four of my songs? Let's, let's, let yeah, give me four of your songs and I'll iron mic every one of them. Okay. Knockouts in the first round. Let's go. All right, here we go.
And that's round one, well, of the second fight. I mean, the first fight was over after the first round. So I didn't true. get to compete. Yeah, well, that's what most people said when they faced Iron Mike, too. Lennox Lewis, uh, both the Spinks brothers, they all went down the first round. Am I supposed to know who Iron Mike is? Mike Tyson. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. <laughs> he used to <laughs> defeat people in, like, Oh, they went down in 71 seconds. That was a long one. I think that was Lennox Lewis or something. But, uh, yeah, he used to wipe guys out in the first round. 
And then uh, apparently when he fought Holyfield, that didn't happen. And so you go many rounds and you start to get hungry. And so he tried to bite his ear off. Well, and that's where I pick pick up with my familiarity with his work. <laughs> it's the ear biting and the facial tattoo. Do you have any ear biting or facial tattoos for these uh, songs that you are bringing to to bear here in round one well, so for the judges to rip apart? Would you like to discuss your problems with them, or shall we start with why I selected them? I guess we'll let you start. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I This is the fastest I have ever prepared for a guest spot on your show. Um, it's been like three or four weeks we've been talking about this. Right, I know, but I, I, yeah, I got the email at work. Um, I sent you an email back saying we should come up with a definition, and then I got I got antsy, and five minutes later, I just started going through my Spotify list, and at first I thought, well, at first I went with those classics, okay? Um, but then I noticed that they were all male-dominated songs. So? And they were all older and classics. And so I thought about and you have something against classics. I do not. But um, I thought about our friend Viv Albertine, um, and and I wish she were our, our flesh and blood friend. Yeah, I know. But we're both fans of hers, and we both enjoyed reading her memoir. Memoir. Um, clothes, clothes, clothes. Music, music, music. Boys, boys, boys. And it. Uh, so I started thinking about when she started to play music. Um, she was looking for. A muse that represented being a woman. And guitar sounds were dominantly men. They were male sounds. And so I, I yeah, just... Yeah, this uh, just to set it... In, yeah, okay. It was in the late 70s. It was in the late 70s. And yeah, it was male-dominated. Not just in the late 70s, it probably still is to a certain extent. Yes. But um, certainly then she was up against... Um, well, she writes about all the people she hung around with in the punk rock scene and... London, and they were all guys, with the exception of Chrissy Hind, I think she writes about, and a few others, but... Well, and, and she writes, if I may quote, when she was trying to find her sound, I, um, I don't want to copy any male guitarists. I wouldn't be true to myself if I did that. Um, and she wanted to sound, when she played guitar, like a woman, and not a woman copying a man. So I just wondered, what if I look for pop songs that, to me, sound female-influenced? And so I came up with what I am calling perfect pop songs, but they are newer. And um, perhaps they they don't... I think you might not describe them as perfect pop songs. Nope. Okay. (laughs) Because they're not part of our pop song lexicon. And they don't really, they're not, they might be popular songs. And I would say today, this is what I would call a poppy song. So, okay. So what, what's the difference between a popular song and a perfect pop song? Well, for me, the pop song is what I said before, you know, it's three minutes, three chords, three verses. um, And it's got to be catchy and you've got to be able to, you know, kind of sing along with it. Um, and I understand that there are lots of great songs that don't do that. Tons and tons of great songs, even by people who wrote really great pop songs by my definition. Um, there's a ton of songs that they wrote that are I really love and they're fantastic, but they're not pop songs. See, and, and I think maybe this is where, this might be the, the defining difference is the three chords. Yeah, that and, might and be. And so I think that's what's separating my list from your list and the fact that 
my list is wrong. Yeah, well, there's that. <laughs> so I'll do a quick rundown. Yeah, um, what did we just listen to? Okay, so going in reverse order, is this how I feel? Or is this how you feel? I only wrote, is this how dot 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 in my notes. It's by the Preachers. <laughs> They're from Down Under. I like them. I love them. Um, and this song for me has an 80s footloose kind of a vibe. And what I love about it is the guitar riff. It's got that bright sound because it ends, uh, it's a lot of upstroking as opposed to downstroking. Um, and there's a syncopated drum I, I like up and down stroking. Well, yeah, I was, yes, yes. I, I That was a soft pitch right over <laughs> home plate. Um, feeling okay it by... It soft. Uh, <laughs> it's never what soft. What are you calling soft? It's never soft here at Suave Manor. Um, it's a good thing my wife's not home. <laughs> what time is it? Um, <laughs> before that was feeling okay, feeling okay by Best Coast. I like Best Coast, too. I do, too. And the... One of the aspects I love about that song is the guitar harmonizes with the vocals. And anytime a non-vocal instrument harmonizes with the voice, I'm sold. Yeah. Um, before that is Phoenix, and um, the song is Girlfriend. And I actually, I discovered them on an, on an NPR interview. And um, Tiny a, Desk? No, it was in 2009, Alisa Ali, and uh, the description was that Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix, the, from which this, this, this song is taken from that album, uh, is filled with perfect little pop gems. I'd never heard of this band, so I looked them up. And one thing I love about this song and this album is that there are motifs uh, or themes within this song that are, you find in other songs. And so you hear uh, a melody in one song, and then they pick it up in a very playful way uh, throughout, the, throughout the, the album. They're, they're good songs. I'm not saying they're bad songs. Um, the Preachers, eh, you know, it's a bit too emo. Um, it kind of is, the production's a little atmospheric, a la The Stones 1979 or Blondie 1983. But for me, um, I thought Real Real from mm -hmm. Sleigh Bills right. and Phoenix Girlfriend, they were too repetitious. And I think it's a repetition in the production where, and this is a modern thing, we lay down, you know, they lay down a, uh, a riff of some sort and then they get it perfect, mm -hmm. but then they just repeat that over and over and over and over and over in the production of the song. Whereas it's much different when you get, you know, the Beatles in Abbey Road playing a song beginning to end. And I know they did a lot of production, but it well, was still less repetitious and i wonder what those songs sound like in concert in a venue somewhere what it how is it different because it's they've they've gone to such great lengths with the production and i think this is what happens with a lot of modern music uh -huh. to to make it perfect then it's going to sound way different when you get out in public and listen to it do they even go on tour do they play it in public i wonder what it would sound like mr suave you're making me go, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because I would agree with production. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They're long, and yet once they nail it down, it's looped. Yeah. Um, and yet I, just, I love that. And, I, and maybe is that what pop is becoming? It's what modern music is becoming. Things are way overproduced. I sometimes have, I, I think that uh, a lot of songs that Paul Weller does right now, Sometimes they're way overproduced. It's about editing. It's like writing. You 
you write something and then you edit, 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 and cut everything out. You kill um, your baby. Well, that's fine. Sometimes we're better with dead babies. I, I'm not saying uh, it's a bad thing in the creative process. But too much is about the producers and they're adding these echoes and all this auto fine tuning, whatever bullshit. I don't know. Um, but it's uh, everything is tends to be overproduced. Even stuff I like, I realized is probably overproduced. So this makes me think, uh, you know, just in terms of all the technology that we have, is that's what is that what's ruining the perfect pop song for you? Yes, probably is. And I don't think it's just for me. I think it is, in some ways, not ruining music. It is changing music. The question is whether it's a change for good or bad. That's, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder or the listener or whatever remains to be seen. So, all right. I I, I love my songs. I still think they're They're good songs. I'm not saying they're bad songs. They're, but are they perfect pop songs? No. In my humble opinion. Um, But I want to hear yours. What are you bringing to the table? I'm going to bring some things to the table right now that, well, they're, they're a little bit iconic. Not all of them, just one of them, really. Uh, and I'll kick off with that. I, I love the colorful clothes she wears And the way the sunlight plays upon her hair I hear the sound of a gentle word On the wind that lifts her perfume through the air Picking up good vibrations She's giving me the excitations I'm backing up good vibrations She's giving me the excitations Good vibrations She's giving me Softly smile, I know she must be kind In her eyes, she goes with me to a blossom room I'm picking up good vibrations She's giving me the excitations I'm backing up Vibrations are happening with her Gotta keep those loving good 
you have the time to listen to me whine about nothing and everything all at once. I am one of those melodramatic fools, neurotic to the bone, no doubt about it. Sometimes I give myself the creeps. Sometimes my mind plays tricks on me. It all keeps adding up. I think I'm cracking up. And am I just paranoid? Am I just up? I went to a shrink to analyze my dreams. She says it's like a sex that's bringing me down. I went to a Sometimes I give myself the creeps Sometimes my mind plays tricks on me It all keeps adding up I think I'm cracking up Am I just paranoid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of experimenting with different musical techniques and instruments, the vast majority of pop today is built using the exact same combination of a keyboard, a drum machine, sampler and computer software. This might be considered as progressive by some people, but in truth it sucks the creativity and originality out of music, making everything sound somewhat similar. right. Of course I'm right. Those are all perfect pop songs. Thank you. But are we looking for the perfectest? Well, you've already heard them just now. <laughs> um, I would agree with you. Of course. And yet I go back to my Viv Albertine theory 
But um, talk to us about what we just heard. Uh, the last one was Basket Case by Green Day. Uh, it's the Dookie album, the famous one. And that album uh, is the one people will point to when, when punk, you know, finally made it. And I have to laugh because that was 1994, and punk had finally made it, you know, a dozen times before that, I'm pretty sure. And, and not made it even a dozen more times earlier than that. So I don't know that that's really when punk finally made it, but that's how it was presented in the news media at the time, because the album did sell like six million copies its first year or some ridiculous thing. So is that a, a punk song and a pop song? I think it's a pop song. I don't think it's a punk song at all, really. Can a punk song be a perfect pop song? Yes. Okay. But that was not an example of one. Um, on my short list, I sort of had Anarchy in the UK. Okay. It would fit my description to a certain extent. Um, and I, you know, it's an iconic song. It's rememberable. Is that a word? Rememberable. Yeah. Memorable. Um, so, yes, I think a punk song, I mean, uh, undertones, Teenage Kicks, people called that punk. We, today, nobody thinks of that as punk. Because, because it seems kind of... It's part of our common experience. Yes, it's not so hard now. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that hard then, actually. But even the Sex Pistols aren't that hard now. Well, so when we're talking about three chords, because that's part of your definition that yeah. isn't part of mine, that is my definition for punk, is three chords played rapidly and poorly. <laughs> well, poorly is probably not necessary. Well, but we in hope. a good way. That wasn't pejorative. <laughs> no, I understand. Um, but you don't have to play, you can play three chord songs really, really well. Look at the Ramones. They're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for a reason. Yes, you're right. Anyhow, so that was Basket Case. It was Green Day. I also like it because I told you I have to always have a generational sort of aspect. That song is a generational. That is a Gen X defining song. Green Day, uh, they were at their best when they sang about being bored and stoned. And (laughs) that's really true. And that whole album is they were bored and stoned. Uh, The next album, they were a little less bored and stoned. It was a little less as good but but that's and really they had more money what yeah they probably did sort of at that time the money comes when they hit american idiot which is in a class all of its own because it's a political statement and a rock opera and all that stuff um but th- that's a general uh, generational band for me it's green day they sort of epitomize the gen x sound do it yourself in the beginning and then hit it big um, and the way they revisit themes that they grew up with, mm. and Basket Case does that. It's like a retelling of a, a, a boomer's midlife crisis. Oh, went to a shrink, went to a hooker, uh-huh. got stoned, da, da, da. I mean, it just it fits the blueprint totally. Um, and it's a great song. Okay. So. And before that, we heard. Uh, before that, we heard What I Like About You which is the ubiquitous um, wedding reception song. It's the one where, if we want people to stand up at a wedding, let's play the romantics, what I like about you. And it's earwormy as hell. Yeah, yeah. It's in my head right now. I mean, of all those three songs that we just heard, that's the one that's stuck. Right, and um, it's their debut album, The Romantics, it was in 1980. That album has a ton of earwormy songs. Um, uh, Tell It to Carrie. 
Um, and Harry I Brownstein. I can't think of them all now, but there's just a, a ton of great songs on that album, and I was listening to it recently and remembering the songs and thinking about them and thinking, why was that album not better than it was? I mean, none of those songs were truly hits. What I Like About You became sort of a cult classic. Um, but it's a great, I think it's a great song. So better than it was, are you talking about being received or the overall, your overall experience of it? Uh, being received. I think it should have gotten a lot more acclaim than it did. Um, there are a ton of songs, well, three or four songs on that album that could be also runs for the list of best perfect pop songs. I mean, they, it was a really, really good album. And then the Romantics, the, the later albums were not bad. They just, I don't think, ever lived up to quite that first potential, which is not surprising. A lot of bands have that problem. And you led with? Um, I led with Good Vibrations, Beach Boys. It was recorded during the Pet Sounds making of the album and then ultimately wasn't on the album they released it as a single and it was a huge success i mean so this is a case of you know it wasn't like a slow burn or anything that song was a big success right away it was critically acclaimed right away and it's still i mean it's like iconic it it's kind of in that beatles era of um this is one of the iconic great songs of all time brian wilson wrote it and then it caused the famous 1990s court cases where Mike Love, one of the Beach Boys, cousin to the Wilsons, sued Brian Wilson for songwriting credits because he said, I did a lot of the writing on a lot of the songs that the Beach Boys made famous. And it was the demise of the Beach Boys in any way, shape, or form. I don't think Brian and Mike have appeared on stage together since the 90s, early 90s probably. Um, and he did get the songwriting credit, so he proved his case, but it's kind of sad that they fell apart over this, among others, but this was one of the big ones. I'm learning shit, Mr. Suave. Do you have a form where I can fill it out and get some college credit? Uh, you can go to mrsuave.com. I always post, like, you know, bullshit bonus videos. Oh! And, and cocktail recipes. And cocktail when I recipes, have them. right, right. Um, but yeah, no, you're not getting extra credit. <laughs> is it my Everybody turn? Everybody wants is extra credit. Turn? Can I yeah, go? Can tear them down. Go, go ahead. Go? go ahead. Take a swing. You're going to miss it. Every one of those. Oh! Look at you with your 
Mr. Suave, your show always brings me to such great heights. <laughs> I wish everybody could say that. That was my last song. That's all I had. That's all you had, well, really? Well, just, it's you a great know, song. Term, it is a great song, and to me, it's a perfect pop song. It has an innocence. Um, do you know how that song was composed? Nope. Um, I believe it was Benjamin Gibbard who was in Seattle area, and his musical partner, Jimmy Tamborello, was in Portland, and so they would record something and then send it in the mail. In the mail? Yes, so, to so, Portland. So, so like, they put it on a CD and send it in the mail. And that's why they They are, didn't Dropbox it. The, the Postal Service is the band. <laughs> wow, they lived up to their name. They, they I did really not did. know that. Um, what do I love about that song? I love the lyric, the freckles in my eye. And maybe that's just personal because I have... Mar Mary, Queen of Cosmos, has freckles in her eyes. So maybe that's just personal. It's a great song. I'm not convinced it's a pop song. Um, there's a formulaic pattern. Or a perfect pop song. It's super catchy. Yeah, it is. There's it an is. innocence to it, and every time I hear it, especially the guitar solo, it makes me think I could be a rock star. And to me, that's what a perfect pop song does. It makes you think you me. could be a rock star? Yeah. Oh, it's all about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad we're figuring that out. Um, before that, that was Slater Kinney. Before that was Slater Kinney, and now we're getting into some more pop music-like territory, I think. Okay. Although, I'm still not sold that this is a I think perfect that, pop song. Okay, when I think Slater Kinney, I think, um, you know, hardcore women of the 90s, riot girls breaking guitars and shit, and this song, it's... Not it's, that. It's not that. Not it that is at all. sweet. I, I think of Richie Cunningham and sitting at a soda fountain. You and, think of Richie Cunningham? Are you Boxer kidding? With the sound. How yes. old are you? I am seventy nine. <laughs> I have no option. Um. Okay. Before that, the girl you want, Devo. You sent this to me, and I thought Devo. I love Devo. It's definitely. It is a pop vibe to a certain extent, but. Devo kind of deconstructs everything. Yes, um, but it is super name. catchy. It does it have catchy. a pattern. It does. It, it meets the time constraints. And also, my husband loves Devo. And so, again, I guess this set is all about me. Um, I imagine this is how he feels about me. Is this, this you think, is Devo's best pop song? No. Well, then why did you pick it? Because the I, point is the perfect pop song. If this isn't their best representation well, of that, you're asking me like I I didn't study. I, I just like I said, I went with my heart. You drew th things out of a hat. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> Through my Spotify hat. This, this is definitely one of Devo's best songs. Um, but but they they have a couple others that could be maybe better pop I guess references. Even even whip it. I mean, yes, there's a reason yes. it's a number one hit, right? And sold bazillions of copies. Uh, it's ubiquitous, but that's what happens when you get successful. And this song is clanging around in my head because Soundgarden covered it. And I remembered when Chris Cornell died, they play, he had the, oh my God. I don't his, think I've heard that. Oh, his vocals and their treatment of it is beautiful. And it's so similar to the, 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 the version that we know, and yet they make it their own. Um, and so that's, I think, why this song So, you know, in the dictionary, mm -hmm. there's definition number one, yeah. and then there's definition number two, and you just touched on my second definition, which 
the best pop songs can be covered and re-envisioned in any genre and still sound great because they're such perfectly great written songs. Like they're so good that you can do them as a waltz or you can do them as a ska song or a punk song or just as a standard pop song or whatever and they still sound really good. And you all know the songs that come to mind for that because you hear them covered by people and you think, oh, that's pretty good. Even though it's in a different style, different genre or whatever. So the fact that Chris Cornell, I'm guessing he gives it something of a pretty hard rock treatment. Uh, and he has obviously identifiable grunge vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, so it probably, I haven't heard it, doesn't sound like Devo. But it still sounds good, which means the song itself stands up to... And, and that's why, I mean, the Beatles have been covered by everybody in every genre possible. And um, that's why I still think they're, you know, the in undisputed kings of pop music. But Okay. So, what are you bringing then? What, what controvertible, is that a word? Songs. Incontrovertible. No, but, but yours are, if you're saying they need to be controvertible into different <laughs> genres, what are you bringing to the next round? Let's listen. I'm bringing... Um, Mick Jagger, mm-hmm. Robert Smith, and Burt Bacharach. Ooh! Are we gonna jello wrestle? <laughs> Hopefully not with them. She would never say where she came from. Yesterday don't matter. If it's gone While the sun is bright Or in the darkest night No one knows She comes and goes She needs to be so free She'll tell you it's the only way to be She just can't be chained To a life where nothing's gained And nothing's lost at such a cause no time to lose I heard her say Catch your dreams before they slip away Dying all the time Lose your dreams and 
decided to create a dream come true. So they sprinkle moon dust in your hair and gold, starlight in your eyes are blue. Then tis a while, all the guys in town follow you around, just like. Never heard, I have so you, never heard that rendition. His his version uh, from Studio 150, his covers album where he covered a bunch of things. This came out in the late 90s. But yeah, that one, uh, Paul that, Weller and Burt Bacharach. Perfect pop marriage. Yeah, they should be sleeping together. Yeah, they should. They should be frequently fucking. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it's fantastic. And that is, um, some people think it's schmaltzy, the song, a little bit. Yes, and... Yes, and but because they associate it with the Carpenters, who I love, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the Carpenters version really is the definitive one, with uh, you know Karen Carpenter's vocals, and the Wrecking Crew played on that version. Mm-hmm. So of huh. course the greatest musicians of their era. But that's what people think of. And but for me, I had to choose Paul Weller because I wanted Weller represented here, and he is a great pop songwriter. But this one, I think, is, you know, it transcends... Burt Backrack transcends even Weller's writing. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the perfect mod marriage. Yeah, it kind of is. Um, and my... I was telling you, my second definition of a great pop song is it can be taken and done in any style, any genre. It can be twisted. It can be reframed and re-envisioned and re-owned by an artist. And if it still sounds good, it's because the song is so written so well that it doesn't matter what you do to it um some of the covers i've heard over the past decade or so from uh, paul heaton formerly the house martins now beautiful south mm-hmm. now actually not beautiful south but he's back with jackie abbott who's one of the beautiful south singers anyhow they've done a ton of covers and they do one of um now i can't think that i'm gonna blank on it but they do this uh, are you gonna cry yeah, boys, I, boys don't I'm, cry. I, boys don't cry. <laughs> Anyhow, they've done a ton of covers, and they've like owned it, and they turn it into their own songs. And when a band does that, and they make it their own, but it still sounds yeah, yeah. good, and you're like, man, that's a great song. Yes, it's a great song because it can be taken apart and used by many other artists. Although Weller's version of Close to You is pretty, you know, it makes me quiver. true to the form. It makes me quiver. Um. Okay, before we get to crying, yeah. do we need to talk about Mr. Suave stuff? Oh, we can talk about Mr. Suave Let's stuff. Let's talk about Mr. Suave stuff. 
like like where people could find a track list for this where, week's show? Where can I find a track list to Mary's awesome, perfect pop songs because they're the best and perfect? Well, that's not online anywhere. <laughs> uh, but you can find a track list for this show and all the other modcasts at mrsuave.com. Don't forget to spell it, Mr. Spell it out! mrsuave.com. Um, and you can follow me on Facebook. I post things there regularly between shows, uh, videos, and all sorts of other stuff at facebook.com, of course. And it's slash mod mod world. And uh, give me a like. Um, I've got a few followers. Not as many as I'd like, probably, but. I yeah. like you. Oh, that's nice. That's like my mother liking something I did. Exactly. Yeah. Literally, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Not literally. Um, Before Close to You, we did have Boys Don't Cry. Yes, The Cure. Oh, my God. Talk to me. Um, I just think it's one of the perfect pop songs. I mean, probably The Cure at the poppiest in the early days. They get popular later again as they go forward. Not surprisingly, a lot of bands do. And by popular, I mean you just get to be a little more mainstream, I suppose. Or mainstream catches up with where you were, and so now you sound mainstream because you were so far ahead of the curve. That's a possibility. Right, right. But this song, it's just, I mean, it's just a great song, and it is, um, fits my definition of a perfect pop song. I would agree. I would agree. Yes, of course you would. <laughs> See, th- th- this is how we know that I'm winning, is you always agree with me. Oh, nailed it. Goodbye, Ruby Tuesday. It's not goodbye. It's just, it's just Ruby. Ruby Tuesday. Well, it reminds me of Kristen Wiig's, her <laughs> last episode on Saturday Night Live, and they serenaded her with this song. Really? Yeah, Mick Jagger was on the show. Are you kidding? I missed that. Oh, it's... and when I've I never seen it, it. I will send it to you. We will post it on MrSuave.com. Spell it out. Yeah. Um, and every oh, time I'd I love watch to see it, that. I cry. Yeah, it's um, my favorite Rolling Stones song. Maybe one of, but no, one. Of, it is my favorite, and it it is uh, indicative of a perfect pop song in that everyone wants to sing along with that song. It's true. It's true. When you play that, people sing along in the car. People hum it. People whistle it. It's it's just there's something about the way it's done, and the vocals and the harmony, and you want to sing it, and you want to just sing along with him. I want to sing along to you talking about it right now. Yeah, see? That's how good a song it is. Ruby Tuesday, The Rolling Stones, uh, 1966. I forget the album it was on. Something with the... I don't know. It had, like, the word buttons in it. I can't help And then, then there was, like, a Greatest Hits compilation a few years later called Flowers, I think, or something. And that's... Uh, I had that on vinyl, and that's where I discovered it as a kid. Um... But yeah, that no, it's a great song. I mean, it's as close as you get to the Beatles, right? The Rolling Stones, uh, for perfectness in some ways. In some ways, not always. So can we can we perhaps come to an agreement? Yes. That your take was you correct. Looked, My take was correct. Uh, Thank you, you. We're in agreement. You looked at classics, and and I have a hope for the evolution of the perfect pop song. Hmm. I don't. I think that the, the kind of pop songs I'm talking about, the ship has sailed on that. People are still making them. They're not going to be mainstream anymore. What's mainstream now is, you know, it is what it is. Um, and none of these are songs that I don't like. I like a lot of these songs. I just don't consider them pop songs. What about this last song? Well, 
The last song was kind of a, a little bit of a weird one for me, I suppose. Um, this was a song that I, I went to uh, ski school in the ninth grade. Ski, like snow ski yeah, school? Yeah, snow ski Ooh, school on the school that. bus. And I would hope to get home like by 11 o'clock, 12 so I could watch Friday night videos because I longed to see this video. Because it was hard to find this video or the song in 1983? Well, it was everywhere! Did not have cable. Oh, well, so there you have it. Friday night videos. Um, so we're going to take you out with um, Every Breath You Take by The Police. The soccer uh, song. Yeah, it is, sort of. Uh, written by Sting, and I'm, it, it, for a variety of reasons I won't get into, I'm not a big Sting fan. Uh, but this song, wow. If you don't think this is close to the perfect pop song, I'd be surprised. And it was... Uh, ubiquitous in 1983. That song was everywhere. It was number one on every chart, and it was like the number one song for the most weeks in 1983 on every chart. I mean, it was sort of like, it's a done deal. When Synchronicity came out, this song solidified the police across the board. It was a perfect album. Yeah. It, it, it was a great album. Um, so, do, okay, next time <laughs> do we fight about perfect albums? Oh, there are no perfect albums. There are even parts of Quadrophenia that I don't like. Um, that's another show, obviously. Okay, okay. Uh, so anyhow, here you are. The police, every breath you take. Thank you, Mary, Queen of Cosmos. Thanks for having me. For being here. I don't think I ever said that, uh, like, in properly introduced you at the beginning, actually. We I'm... just started playing music and arguing. I'm Mary, Queen of Cosmos. Yeah. She makes a killer knockout drink. Um, she just doesn't know how to do a knockout punch with a pop song. Cause I'm a girl. You said it, not me. Oh, I hope I'm not in trouble for that later. Anyhow, thank you all for listening. Here's every breath you take, the police. <laughs>